we again appreciate very much your being here this evening and again we want to welcome again those of you who are visiting with us and we are so glad you're here and we hope that you'll come back and be with us again very very soon I really enjoyed the patriotism the last few days watching uh, TV and, and uh, hearing songs about our country and especially God bless America and people talking about uh, asking God to bless our country but I'm deeply concerned about the way our country has been going the last several years the division that is so prevalent so much racism and prejudice going on in our nation if you have watched the news lately you know that certainly we have a big problem with racism and other kinds of prejudice you cannot watch the news or read the newspaper or read much about anything on, on online without being confronted with the fact that we're confronted with tensions and hatred that tension and hatred is real brings about monumental problems. I don't know how many candidates we have for president now, but many of them are getting in hot water about what they've said or, or done concerning racism or racial slurs or problems. Brian Stevenson, the founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative, has been in the news a lot lately regarding confronting race in America. A lot of people just want to kind of deny that we have a problem. On the other hand, if you listen to or read some reporters, you might be led to believe that all whites hate blacks, all blacks hate whites, all Republicans hate Democrats, and all Democrats hate Republicans. It seems the evil of racism and prejudice is everywhere. And it's been around for a long, long time. In the first century, the Jews looked down on Gentiles, especially on Samaritans. In John chapter 4, we find Jesus asking a Samaritan woman to give him a drink. In John 9, 4 and verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. When the Jews really wanted to find something, the worst thing they could say bad about Jesus, the worst thing they could possibly think of, John 8 and verse 48 tells us that they answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? The Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. Especially they didn't like the Jews going through Samaria going to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 54, we read, Now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face, and they, as they went, they entered a, a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because... His face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire down to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? 
And so you can see the prejudice between the two groups. They didn't like it because Jesus was going to go through their country just to go to Jerusalem. James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven and burn them up. In Luke chapter 10, when Jesus told a lawyer the story of the Good Samaritan, he asked the lawyer in Luke 10, verses 36 and 37, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The lawyer wouldn't even acknowledge that it was the Samaritan. He simply said, well, it was the one that showed mercy on him. Racism. Romans looked down on both Jews and Samaritans. But you can go back even hundreds and thousands of years before that in the Old Testament. So much racism and fussing and fighting and killing each other. But turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, in order to fix racism, we need to fix how we view God and humanity. In Genesis chapter 2, we find that man was created by God. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, we read, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. In verses 21 and 22, it says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Now back up to chapter 1 of Genesis. We find that we were made in God's image. On the sixth day, according to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If we're going to fix racism, we must fix how we view God and humanity. Racism and prejudice is wrong because all humans are made in the image of God. The Bible clearly states that man was made in the likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Every human being possesses an eternal soul, and he has qualities and characteristics that can only come from our Creator. And notice the next verse. Genesis 1 and verse 28. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. We're going to come back to Genesis chapter 1 in just a moment. But every human being is a descendant of Adam. Genesis 3 and verse 20 says, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve was the mother of all living. We are all related to each other. 
Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, 17 and verse 26, that God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And Paul clearly states very plainly in Acts 17 verses 28 and 29 that all humans are the offspring of God. And so thousands of years after the creation, here's Paul a Jew preaching to Gentiles, saying that we are the offspring of God. He didn't say we were. He says we are the offspring of God. Acts 17, verse 29. says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. But going back to Genesis chapter 1, in obedience to God's command, Genesis 1, verse 28, Adam and Eve began having children. And they had children. And they had children. And on and on and on it went. But as the population began to multiply, wickedness also multiplied. And so turn over five chapters later, Genesis chapter 6, and look at verses 5 through 8. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so God gave Noah some very specific instructions as to how to build an ark. And notice verses 17 and 18 in Genesis 6. God told Noah, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh which, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Look down at chapter 6 and verse 22. It says, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And so God sent a flood to cover the earth. And everyone living on the earth at that time, except for Noah and his three sons and their four wives, died. Genesis 6 verse 7 and verse 17. Uh, move over to chapter 9 of Genesis in verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the same commands he gave to Adam and Eve. And so every human being is a descendant of Noah. We're all related to each other. 
Genesis chapter 10 gives the genealogy of Noah. In the last verse, verse 32 of Genesis 10, says, These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. The dividing of the nations is explained in Genesis chapter 11. Verse 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Everyone was related to everybody else. They had one language and one speech. The text goes on to explain how the people wanted to build a city and build a tower whose top is in the heavens. Notice with me chapter 11 of Genesis, verses 6 through 9. The Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now as these groups spread out and became isolated certain features like skin color and eye shape became dominant in certain groups. Fairly recently, and I don't have time to go into it, nor the, nor the know-how. Fairly recently, scientists have discovered that across the globe, over all the earth, 99.9% .9 of all DNA is the same. 99.9% .9 of all DNA in human beings is the same. From a scientific standpoint, there is no such thing as race. There's only one race, the human race. Based on genetics, there's only one race in humans. Science is proving the Bible to be true. Every living person today is a descendant of Noah. We may have different skin color. We may have different facial features. We may have different physical characteristics. But every one of us is a descendant of Noah. And Noah and all the people who died in the flood were all descendants of Adam and Eve, who was the mother of all living, Genesis 3 and verse 20. And all of us have been made in the likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But also James says in James 3 and verse 9, in talking about the evils of the tongue, says that with it we bless God and, and Father, and with it we curse men who have made, been made in the similitude of God. So here again in the New Testament, God says that all of us have been made in his likeness. The Bible makes it very clear that racism is wrong. 
Racism goes against the teachings of Jesus. It goes against the teachings of the apostles. It goes against the entire Bible. Racism has been around for centuries and centuries and centuries, and sadly, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Society has proven time and time again that without God, we all try to fend for ourselves, and disaster is always the result. Racism is not just a political or social or civil issue. Racism is a manifestation of sin and selfishness and pride. It's a spiritual problem of the heart. It cannot be fixed by protest or civil disobedience or other political means. The answer lies in an understanding of who God is and who we are as his creatures. God is love. And as his creatures made in his image, we have not only the capacity to love, but the responsibility to love. So we're not surprised that as we read through the Bible, we find that love is a major theme of the Bible. For example, in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, Paul writes, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so love can defeat Racism. No individual can love the way God wants us to love and be a racist. No individual can love the way God wants us to love and be prejudiced against others. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, John 3, verse 18, came to this earth and gave us a perfect demonstration of perfect love. And having done that, he said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so the importance of love cannot be overemphasized. In Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. But Jesus taught in Luke 10, verses 30 through 37, that neighbor refers to everyone. We shouldn't make the mistake that one man did in asking, who is my neighbor? Everyone is our neighbor. We're all related. We're all part of the same family. Christ's love that was manifested on the cross covered everything. John 3 and verse 16, Jesus said, for God so loved the world 
But he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 says, We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for whom? For everyone. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 tells us that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is not a single person on this earth that God does not want to save. Now, we know the Bible teaches that most are going to be lost, but there is not a single person that God does not want to be saved and wants to have an opportunity to be saved. The Great Commission shows us that the gospel is for everyone. There are three accounts of the Great Commission in the New Testament. One is found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And there Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded. Lo, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. The second place it's found is Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And the third place is found in Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. Where Jesus said, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Recognizing the scope of the gospel, Paul wrote in Titus 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that appears that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The inclusion of ethnically diverse people in the church was God's plan from the very beginning. I want to repeat that. The inclusion of ethnically diverse people in the church was God's plan from the very beginning. It's always been God's plan to make provisions for people of all nations to be saved. God promised Abraham in Genesis 22 and verse 18, In your seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God promised Isaac in Genesis 26 and verse 4, And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Jacob in Genesis 28 and verse 14, in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was prophesied concerning Jesus in Daniel 7 and verse 14, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. John wrote in Revelation 14 and verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. God wants the gospel to be proclaimed to every nation on this earth. To every individual in every nation on this earth. The Jews did not realize that. Until Peter saw his vision in Acts chapter 10. If you're not familiar with that. uh, Go home and read Acts chapter 10. What a great great story that is. He had this vision. Some men came to get him. To take him to go talk to Cornelius and and others. The, the, The spirit told him to go doubting nothing. And he went. And he said in Acts 10, verses 34 and 35, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God requires the same thing of every one of us, that we must believe in him and obey him. To show partiality is to seek to destroy the gospel. It's often been said that death is the great equalizer. Everyone's going to die, so death is the great equalizer. But in reality, God's love is the greatest of all equalizers. It was very difficult for the Jews to realize that God loved the Gentiles just as much as he loved the Jews, and he wanted the Gentiles to be saved. As Paul was writing a letter to the church at Rome, He started out in chapter 1 talking about the the Gentiles. He goes into chapter 2 talking about the Jews. And as he's talking to the Jews, he gets to chapter 3. In verse 9, he says, What then? Are we better than they? Are the Jews better than the Gentiles? He said, Not at all. We have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. It doesn't matter who we are where we live or what we've done in the past, every one of us has sinned and we fall short of God's glory. Every one of us is going to be condemned to eternal punishment except for the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, Paul asked some questions that would really help us get away from being prejudiced against anyone. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. For who makes you differ from another? Who makes you differ from another? What do you have that you did not receive? Now if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The only way we're different from anyone else is because of what God has done for us. Please turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, toward the end of the Bible. I'm not going to have time to read verses 1 through 9, but I want you to follow, kind of follow along 
in that text. Notice, first of all, that James declares that if, it, if you really believe in Jesus as Lord, that you should not show partiality or be a respecter of persons, verse 1. That refers to making judgments concerning someone on a superficial basis, such as skin color, or genealogy, or age, or income level, or uh, what they are politically, or even something like being bald. Such discrimination is not compatible with faith, with faith in Christ. You remember Jesus said in John 7 and verse 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. But here in James chapter 2, James gives a concrete example of what he's talking about in, in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. The scene is a worship service in the first century. A person comes in, he's wearing very nice, expensive clothing and nice jewelry. In contrast, another person comes in who's very poor, and he's wearing filthy clothes. If the members treated that wealthy person with honor and respect, but they were discourteous and even ignored the one who was poor. And James says they were guilty of showing partiality. Verse 4 indicates that they were evil-thinking judges. James goes on to show that that goes against the will of God. God doesn't show partiality. And neither should we. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also have loved, has loved us, and given himself for us, and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But notice in James 2, verses 8 and 9, If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. A person cannot be guilty of racism or guilty of prejudice without transgressing God's law. As Christians, we are set apart as God's holy people. And we're to be a shining light in a world of darkness. There's no room, no place for racism in the church. The church is one place where color does not count, where ethnicity and education and economic standing don't matter. Paul writes in Galatians 3, verses 26 through 29, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If we're prejudiced, or we have racism, we're failing in our responsibility both to God and to man. The only way to defeat racism, the only way to, to, to stop all the division in our country is to find the answers that God gives to us in his word. Only in Christ can we find peace with God and peace with one another.
in the first century, the world stood in awe of people who previously could not stand each other because of ethnic distinctions, but who now loved each other, served each other as a family, worshiped God together in the name of Jesus. Today, the church has an opportunity, just like it did in the first century, to show the world what it means to acknowledge who God is in God's creation of man. That we can unite together, we can bond together in unity and harmony and joy. If you'd like to do more study on how you can accomplish that, I encourage you to study again Romans 12, especially verses 9 through 21. But Paul puts it very succinctly in one verse, in Philippians 2 and verse 3, where he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Racism and prejudice are tremendous problems in our country. God has the answer. We can be the light that shows the world how America can be the country that God wants us to be, that God really can bless America. Tonight we want to extend the Lord's invitation. It's always his. And as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, we want to extend that invitation for him. He's inviting you tonight to kneel at the cross. That's where he died for you. He paid the price for your sins and mine. And he tells us to go and preach that good news to every person. He says those who believe and are baptized will be saved, forgiven of their past sins. And then as they live a Christian life, walking in the light, what the Bible calls it, John 1 verse 7. The blood of Christ continues washing away our sins because we're going to make mistakes, we're going to fail. But the blood of Christ is actively taking those sins away. As Christians, we can pray together, confessing our faults to each other and pray together and God promises to forgive. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, we encourage you to come now while we stand and as we sing.